Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello and welcome to Movies Versus Capitalism, an anti-capitalist movie podcast. I'm Rivka Rivera. And I am Frank Capello. Rivka, welcome back. So glad you're here. How are you feeling? How's it going? Thank you so much. I am very happy to be back. I feel great today. Um, not so great the past five days. COVID is truly a bitch. And uh, it was my second time, but I think it was worse this time. And I just, you know, I have so much compassion for anyone who is struggling with this, but particularly long-term COVID. It's just, it's was just a reminder of how awful this is. And if you have any kind of pre-existing conditions or not, but if it just attacks the body in so many different ways, and it was just really scary and not fun. Yeah, it is a really terrible disease. Um, I know I have a few family members that had COVID and it kicked the shit out of them and they are still dealing with the long-term effects of that. So um, yeah, I'm glad you're feeling better. So happy to be back. Not happy that I missed Bernie at BAM, but you went. That's right. Yes, we were supposed to both attend, along with some friends, the uh, Bernie Sanders uh, event at Brooklyn Academy of Music with Cornell West. And yes, yeah, sadly, you were unable to go. But tell everyone who, who did end up going. Um, <laughs> me and your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Just the two of us had a little date together, which was actually so lovely. Yeah, I love that. We got to have a bunch of, we, we talked a bunch. I got to learn a ton more about her that I never knew. So it was really, it was really nice. Here's the best part about it, though, was getting my mom's like feedback on how it was and then getting voice notes from Frank. So my mom says, we went, it was great. Susan Sarandon and Cornell West's wife and Bernie Sanders' wife were all sitting in front of us. And that was it. And then Frank, do you t you tell me what happened? Yeah, she completely omitted everything. So <laughs> we walk into the theater, and our seats are pretty close to the front. And sitting directly in front of us is Susan Sarandon. So as we're walking up, I say to your mom, "Oh, look, there's Susan Sarandon," and your mom beelines it directly for Susan, walks right up Good to for her, her. I and could it never. She really went for it. And I didn't really hear what she said. I think she was just like, oh, big fan, big fan. Susan was very, she's like, thank you. Very nice. We sit down. We're right behind her. And your mom loudly says to me, you should have her on the podcast. <laughs> and Susan overheard that. And it's a little bit of context for the podcast I produced for The Lever, Lever Time with David Sirota. We did interview Susan Sarandon because David knows Susan. So we had her on a few months ago. So I said to your mom, I was like, oh, we actually, you know, did interview Susan on our other podcast. <laughs> and, I, and then I parlayed that into, hi, Susan, I work for David at The Lever. And Susan was like, so oh, So she set you right. up nicely. Perfect layup. <laughs> so Susan was like, oh, the, the work you all have been doing on the, on the train derailment story. So awesome. we start chatting. It turns into me, your mom, just having a full-on conversation with Susan Sarandon for like ten minutes, who couldn't have been lovelier. So it was, it was a very no, yeah, no, nothing, nothing major happened at the event. And she and I was like, Mom, why didn't you tell me about this? She's like, I didn't want to make you feel bad, which is not true. She knew I'd be like, Mom, you did what? But good for her. Yes, it was so much fun, and the event itself was great. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun. It was very uplifting. So it was. Bernie Sanders, he's promoting his new book, uh, It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism. 
uh, in conversation with Cornell West. And I had never seen either of them live, uh, live like they're musicians, but I had never... <laughs> I, I'd never seen either of them in person and Bernie was obviously great. You know, he played the hits, you know, uh, you know, why are we paying the most for prescription drugs? You know, billionaires mm -hmm. need to pay their fair share, you know, all, all of that. As my therapist just told me, he's like, you know, you missed it, but you probably could do this. Like he probably said the same. It's he played his greatest hits. He played his greatest hits. I, I was talking with a TikTok mutual uh, at pizzas, <laughs> you can find him on TikTok. Uh, but he said that was like listening to the acoustic version of a Bernie rally. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's a good description. But what do you think of Cornell? Because I've seen Cornell live, and I think Cornell's like that was what sort of what I was the most sad to miss because seeing Cornell West speak live is amazing. That's what I was going to say. Was Cornell was the one who really blew me away. He basically came out and did an opening set where he just. You know, he spoke for a little bit, just so poetically, so passionately. Uh, you know, he really played to the crowd. He was like, he's like, we got Bernie, a son of Brooklyn. And, you know, hey. really, yeah, playing up the whole Brooklyn part. But it was really exciting to see the two of them talking together. And they clearly have so much love for one another. And uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like groundbreaking. I didn't walk out of there being like, oh, my God. But it was, yeah, it was a very nice event. Well, luckily, Bernie has been doing a whole press tour. So he's been in the news lately. So I didn't get to miss everything, including his memeable moment when he walked out in that uh, TikTok video. Oh my God, which yeah. Which was gold. We needed something since the mittens, so we got it. Yes, if you haven't seen this TikTok, just Google Bernie Sanders TikTok interruption. It's unbelievable. And he's also, I caught him on, well, I didn't catch him on. I, I Google didn't look because I don't watch the view, <laughs> just to be clear. You were just watching the view in the middle of the day? Yeah, I was like, just caught, caught it on the view, you know, <laughs> my casual view watching. Um, no, I I Googled it because I was looking for clips. Um, but he was on the view and it was just really interesting because I remember last time he was so present on corporate media, it was during, you know, when he was running for president and it was quite disgusting how disrespectful I felt most of, he was he was spoken to um and it was a very different tone and it was really interesting you know he's promoting the book but to see him on the view talking with Joy Behar you know and just like they're talking about being angry about capitalism and the audience is like cheering it you know of course at Medicare for all at a $17 minimum wage it's just like so it was it was it was a nice thing to see like yes these are dominant beliefs that we should have Medicare for all, that we should have, you know, basic human rights, which he's fighting for. But um, it was an interesting contrast. And then also he was on Face the Nation. And I don't know if you caught that. People have been talking a lot about that clip because he is sort of going after corporate media and does a really great oh, yeah. job of not backing down on a pretty corporate show. And um, the woman who's interviewing him talks about, well, aren't you targeting journalists by going after corporate media? And he is, you know, he's great with it. He's absolutely not. I'm not going after journalists. I'm going after corporate media who primarily has corporate interest at hand. And you, we don't talk about this. Like, of course, she's like, well, we're talking about it now. He's like, I'm not the majority. Like, you're talking about it because I'm here. Uh, it was a great clip if you're interested in that. So 
was good to see him out and about. And uh, the other piece that was interesting on The View, he's asked, uh, I don't remember who asks him, but the fact that there's been this shift from working class Americans moving far right and or closer to the right. And does he believe that Biden is the man to pull that group back towards the Democratic side? Which, you know, this is always where it gets disappointing with Bernie, where I wish he would say, no, no, Biden is clearly not the one to do it. It's clearly not working. That's not Biden's message. Biden has utilized that message and then fails to back it up. So it's probably a terrible time. Like no one's going to believe it. But he doesn't say that. He says, yes, I think he's the guy if he can continue pushing this message. What do you what do you think about that? Well, there was a lot there. So I want to unpack a lot of that. So first, I want to go back to what you were saying about, you know, these ideas, these policies, like his sort of democratic socialist ideology becoming more mainstream, Mm -hmm. because that's something that, you know, the stuff that he's talking about is stuff that 10 or 15 years ago, people would have been like, get out of here. That's so radical. That's out of that's that's out of control. And, you know, he and the mobilization effort, the grassroots organizing yeah. effort that had built up around him and his two presidential campaigns, because, you know, we, I, it's important to draw the distinction, you know, like movements need the actual grassroots mobilization, but also having a leader, a charismatic leader does help. So, but, you but know, it's but movements. Yes, absolutely. But it's movements. It's not just Bernie himself. And I get it. I'm a fangirl, but I also deeply, I'm ready to be like, absolutely not. But that movement, this movement has shifted the Overton window in the last several years. And also, you know, conditions in the US have also degraded, which contributes to mm-hmm. these ideas becoming more widely accepted. So it's, very heartening to know that people are starting to talk about these ideas in not a flippant or dismissive way. So that's good. In terms of him still stumping for Biden, essentially, I mean, I I, I really hate to see it. You know, I know a lot of us were very disappointed in 2020 after Super Coup's Day when... I don't know if anyone calls it that. I've <laughs> that was, that was I, good one. I've been calling it that, but no, the but right before Super Tuesday that when was like lefty dad joke. Oh God, is that what I am now? Probably, <laughs> but no that that weekend when what was it? It was Buttigieg and Klobuchar dropped out of the race, threw their support behind Biden. It sucked. Jim Clyburn gave the endorsement, and it was just like oh, lights out, game over. The Democratic establishment came together to coalesce behind this fossil to make sure that bernie couldn't win and mm-hmm. you know he just went along with it and uh you know i know there were a lot of us that were disappointed that he didn't run independent that he didn't split from the democratic party i mean even if he was worried about spoiling the election and giving trump another four years he very well could have right after the election been like fuck this, I'm out. They're like, we're starting mm-hmm. our own thing. Like, you know, after Biden won, whatever. Like, he could have done that, but... He still can. He still can. Bernie, you still can. But he's definitely <laughs> he's definitely done some political calculus where I guess he thinks he can do more good. He can, you know, make more progress mm-hmm. by still mm-hmm. operating within the Democratic Party machine and saying nice things about Joe Biden. But 
no, you know, fuck Joe Biden. Like we need, we need a primary challenger. We need someone from the left to come in and Mm -hmm. buck the system and really push for these ideas and these policies and to galvanize people in a, in a meaningful way because (laughs) Biden isn't doing it. Fucking Kamala isn't going to do it. Buttigieg isn't going to do it. Like, absolutely not. Well, fantasy draft. And we're both fans of Brianna Joy, Gray, and Bad Faith. And I know when Richard Wolf was on her podcast recently, they had this conversation. And he was like, I think she was like, if you could fantasy draft, dream it up. He said, Cornell West for president. And I am right there. And then he said, if you put your name in the ring, we'd back you. And I'd also, could you imagine Cornell West VP Brianna or the other way around? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I would support that ticket. I, I, honestly, there's there aren't many progressive or leftist challengers that I wouldn't support at this point. I mean, I know that Marianne Williamson is thinking about it. She's got an exploratory committee. Mm-hmm. Sure. All I know is that it's not going to come from the corporate wing of the Democratic Party. It's not going to come from the establishment. Those people are never, ever going to save us because they are beholden to the same corporate interests, the same donors that basically the Republicans are. And they're never going to change anything uh, meaningfully in a way that actually helps regular people. Well, I guess we're not going to be able to figure out who's president here today, Frank. So we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, if someone wants to ask us our thoughts, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're welcome. You can email us at movies vs. capitalism. We'll give you all of our thoughts about uh, potential presidential candidates. Before we get to our conversation today on Working Girl... Just want to let you all know that this podcast is produced by the two of us. Yes, we perform all of the necessary labor to make this show happen. And as we are trying to practice our anti-capitalist values, we don't sell ads on this show. Instead, we rely completely on community support to keep the show going. So if you're able to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes, and you will be directly supporting this show. You could also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com. You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast app. It takes two seconds, and it's super helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, and we really appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with our conversation about Working Girl with Ellie Woods. All right, our guest today is Ellie Woods. Ellie is a multiracial third culture kid who writes, acts, and produces comedy in Los Angeles. She has written for Adult Swim, The Obamas. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, we'll get into that. Uh, and has starred opposite Kiki Palmer in her Emmy Award winning comedy, Turned Up with the Taylors. She performs regularly at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And last year, she made her Shakespeare debut as Macbeth with Open Door Shakespeare Theater Company. She's had 10 million jobs, and if she could pick a superpower, it would be (laughs) omni-communication. Ellie, welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism. Is there something wrong with writing for the Obamas? Frank? Yeah, Frank. What what do you have to say about the Obamas? Sorry, wait, I didn't mean to start this off so hot. I don't want to, I don't want to jump in right now with my issues with the Obamas. That's maybe we could, save, we could save that for another episode. I was more so impressed that you have written for the Obamas. What did you do for the Obamas? I just wrote for like a YouTube show that they were that they were uh, featured on and p- helped produce and et cetera for Black History Month. 
um, called Black Renaissance. I think it came out last year. Um, oh, cool. And, uh, you know, I didn't like get to meet them or anything. But when you're scouring your life for credentials, you know, that's you got to put that one on there. Yeah, you absolutely have to put that one on there. Um, I mean, on my website is a photo of me and Al Gore, you know, just hugging it out. And, you know, <laughs> important. I've, I've got important. a lot of issues with Al Gore. But, you know, I got I have to let people know that we we held each other at one point. He gives good hugs. Mm -hmm. It goes on the website. It goes on the website. Exactly. Yeah, I scoured the list. I was like, um, no Oscars, no Emmys. Um, but you know what? I do have this. So that's going in. So Ellie, we're so happy to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. What a great idea for a podcast, combining two great things, movies and anti-capitalism. And you picked an amazing film. You chose Working Girl, which we all got to watch. And this film, directed by Mike Nichols, written by Kevin Wade, stars Melanie Griffith, Sigourney Weaver, Harrison Ford, Joan Cusack, and Alec Baldwin was released on December 21st, 1988, with a budget of $28 million, but grossed $102 million worldwide. And this film, short synopsis for anyone who hasn't rewatched lately, set in the high-pressure world of Wall Street finance, it follows an ambitious secretary named Tess, played by Melanie Griffith, whose business idea is stolen by her boss, Catherine Sigourney Weaver. Mm. So when Catherine mm, breaks mm, her mm. leg skiing... Tess seizes an opportunity to steal her idea back by pretending she has her boss's job and she partners with Ace Finance Bro, Jack Trainer, Harrison Ford, to put the deal together. And that's Working Girl. And that's Working Girl. It's such a wonderful movie with such a beautiful piece of little comedy right at the uh, sort of 25 minute mark when Catherine breaks her leg and just goes zooming off the I was watching it with somebody who had never seen the movie before and I think they really thought that they had like understood that they got the point of the movie that they were like okay I see what this movie is about and then like she's skiing and she zooms off the cliff and they were like oh oh this movie took a turn yeah to totally it hits a lot of different places like yeah it has like very like broad comedic moments like that there are like extremely poignant dramatic moments um there's some scary moments oh yeah some dark, scary moments. We'll get into it. Definitely. A lot of male anger in this film. Um, mm. A little bit of a historical context about when this film was released. So this is 1988. This is the end of the Reagan era. Sad. Uh, this is Ronald Reagan's last year in office. Let's go back. Oh, wish. I just wish we could. <laughs> there is a massive drought in the U.S., which causes $60 billion in damages and heat waves throughout the summer that cause somewhere between 5,000 to 17,000 excess deaths. Ooh. The Tompkins Square Park police riot occurs when police attempt to enforce a newly passed curfew in Tompkins Square Park. The company BlackRock is founded, which will Ooh. eventually become the world's largest private asset manager. Wow. And the 1988 presidential election saw George H.W. Bush defeating Democratic nominee Michael Dukakis. So a weird time for America, a transitional time, but also still very, very firmly ensconced in the 80s as this movie illustrates. Yeah, yeah. So, El, the first thing we like to start with is asking our guest who chose the movie, why did you choose Working Girl for us to watch on this podcast? Well, I mean, you told me the premise and I could only think of one thing. Well, and this movie is near and dear to my heart. Um, 
I actually, a couple of years ago, wrote a stage show with my writing partner based off of it called Bad Business that then sort of launched my writing career with her. And, um, uh, you know, I love movies where soft-spoken female characters are present and I love this cast and incredible soundtrack. Um, I don't know why I brought up soft-spoken female characters first, except that every time I, I watch this movie that afterwards... I love that because she's the softest-spoken and it's lovely, but has so much power. I kept thinking, like, I'm really going to work on my my Melanie Griffith, my Melanie Griffith voice, <laughs> but I can't... I don't know. She's so, like, at the front of her mouth and so, so special and I can't... I, I just... I can't do it, but I'm going to work on it. I'll just do the rest of the podcast like that. Yeah, we should all just work on it. Oh, yeah. And I, I also picked it because... Um, my my mother was a working girl and I, you know, was the daughter of a single mother and uh, one of the youngest of three. And uh, so when I saw this movie, um, it resonated with me. I felt I saw her ambition. She was she worked really hard. She worked long hours and she made certainly made something of herself Um became the first female VP of law at Apple and came from very humble beginnings. And so. I have always, yeah, lo- really loved this movie. Um, and I also find it very funny uh, and from a modern perspective now, like just seeing the woman, the the era of women entering the workforce, trying to be mm-hmm. seen as equal with men. And then, of course, you know, just buying into all these things that have gotten in- us into so much trouble these days, you know, sort of like feminism pushing up against our morals uh, which yeah. is an interesting uh, area for me. Feminism trying to differentiate so, differentiate itself. It's from capitalism. Yeah, yeah. But when it intersects with capital, like totally, that was the. This was my first time seeing this movie, but I felt like that was that oh, intersection. Yeah. It was really. Ex- I know it was so fun. Yeah, like you want her to do it. You want her to to rise in the ranks. But you're also as a, you know, me as who I am these days, I'm like, oh, don't do it, girl. Just move to the country, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or like start some kind of something with like your fellow secretaries. Like there's all these people you can connect to and like you're choosing this path. And but I think the film and I'm curious your thoughts of how conscious the film was about its choices in telling this story of class and capitalism or did you feel ultimately that it was a film that sort of lets us in on what may be going on but eventually do you feel like you're rooting for her success in this system at the end of it I wasn't sure where I landed yeah you know I I guess I I'm not really sure it definitely sets you up you know the beginning is the iconic Carly Simon song and it's the classic American dream montage of of the city skyline and a woman coming on a ferry you know Mm -hmm. it's like and then of course when she's having a hard time later she has to go back on the ferry and then you know finally she makes her way back across on the ferry again the ferry's a big character um Mm -hmm. and uh I feel like there's that moment in the middle where you're sort of just wondering like is she going to give up I sort of am rooting for her at that moment to to give up because like the romance that she has going with Harrison Ford is so strange that I'm not necessarily rooting for that, but I do want Tess to be happy in the end. So I guess I am happy that she gets her job. 
Yeah. That she gets her 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 desk and her corner office. Totally. I think it did such a good job of representing how she was exploited by everyone else. And so we are rooting for her to somehow be liberated from that exploitation. But I did feel like at the end, I was like, I don't know if if you won. I think the the decision of the film's part was like she wins. But I I I felt that twinge of I don't know, there's gonna be someone higher up. Obviously, there's um the guy that gives her the job. What's his name? Who invents the slice? Trask. Trask. Yes. So like Trask is probably eventually going to exploit her, even though at this moment he does not. I don't know. What were your thoughts, Frank? I absolutely loved this movie. This is the first time I ever have seen it and was just so like entertained just from top to bottom. This is a really well made movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike Nichols directing the cast, fantastic performances. The writing is so well done. The hair. The hair. When I saw these hairstyles, Ellie, I was like, oh, I understand so much about you personally now. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Because I, really I think you mean that. <laughs> I 100% mean that. For 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 the audience, like Ellie's an incredible performer, and very often when she's performing, she does these big like hair. extremely elaborate big hairstyles, oh, and yeah. I've seen them time and time, time and time again. And then that opening shot with uh, Melanie Griffith and Joan Cusack on the ferry, I was like, now I understand. Um, <laughs> And I will also say this is maybe the first time I've liked someone from Staten Island. <laughs> Sorry. I liked a lot of the characters from Staten Island. Yes, yes. I'm 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 giving shit as someone from New Jersey with a family from Brooklyn and 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 family who grew up in Staten Island. We always give Staten there Island you go. shit. But yeah. uh no, I, I thought this movie like Rivka was saying, this is operating within the intersection of capitalism and patriarchy and it really it's it's messages about patriarchy are extremely strong and clearly the movie is trying to buck against this patriarchal framework while still embracing the capitalist framework so mm-hmm. it's still a hyper competitive uh environment that all these people are working in and i mean just the world of wall street and finance like this is the backdrop you know we're 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 working in and especially in an industry when during the 80s had become immensely deregulated and then ended up, you know, uh, taking over broad sectors of the economy. It's, you know, this is like when like hostile takeovers and, you know, leverage buyouts and, you know, stock buybacks. I mean, at one point, Tess even suggests doing stock buybacks as part of her big deal with uh, with Trask. Um, mm-hmm. I noticed during the uh the wedding scene with Trask, she and she's like, you know, puffing up his ego. She says, you know, you're the man who embraced Japanese management styles and didn't kowtow to unions. Yes. So like <laughs> she's so she's like congratulating him on probably union busting. And, <laughs> you know, and so like it was a very interesting and conflicting watch because it's existing in both of these spheres. It sort of like accepts the capitalist competitive part of it, but while still bucking against the patriarchal stuff. Um, so yeah, so I thought it was of a time for sure. In 1971, I, I looked into the future and I saw that it was in microwave technology. I love that part. And you do, you want her to succeed. Like I, I found myself wanting her to say, I want her to get this deal put together. You know, I want her to, to, to climb the ranks, you know? And I want Catherine to be put in her place. Yes. Break another leg. I loved Catherine. I thought she was an interesting complex character though because I know she was meant to be 
the bad guy. I was like kind of rooting for Catherine at times. Catherine, when she's in her, I mean, she was just, she was, Sigourney plays her really well, but she's, she is written with sort of, I don't know. I thought she was rooting for Tess at times. I know that that in the end, she's supposed to be the bad guy who turns on her. But I thought that there were moments where I was even like, oh, was she going to actually share her idea or not? You you are wondering, like, if Tess hadn't double crossed her, if Tess hadn't gone behind her back, would she have gotten credit? Because uh, she plays that like sociopath character so well but i i have to believe that ultimately she, because she's a woman at this position of power who's just a little bit younger than tess just a little bit just a little under bit. 30 oh, just a little bit. right just yeah. <laughs> she's supposed to be 29 okay <laughs> oh i turn 30 next month okay yeah all right. i have to believe though that she's done some things to get to where she is and maybe that's my error you know but so i have to believe that she's cutting and that she really was cutting Tess out of the deal. Well, it's insinuated for sure. They confirm it. There is that moment in the final, in the climax of the movie, in the big meeting before Catherine comes in and, and breaks everything up, where Tess asks Jack. Oh, yes. Basically to basically to confirm or deny the lie that Catherine just told her about like, like, oh, I didn't actually I, I shared your idea without telling you because Jack is really finicky about looking at other people's work and he's been accused of stealing work in the past. So like Catherine doubles down on the lie and and the fact that she stole Tess's idea. So in that moment, that was confirmation for Tess that like, no, Catherine mm -hmm. straight up played her from top to bottom and it's 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 sad because it's 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 watching these two women, especially Catherine, have to also exist and compete within these patriarchal structures. And right. you know, like well, it's the original girl boss story, right? Where you where you recognize yes. that mm. the idea of girl boss is adopting essentially the patriarchy to take power. So what's the difference? What what does that really mean when you look at like what's a feminist matriarchal structure if it's just adopting the same ways of doing business, the same type of power, the same type of cutthroat, you know, like you have to look out for yourself is that mantra that Tess is given by Catherine of you got to do what it takes, you, you got to do what it takes, like, make it happen, whatever it takes is like very girl boss, like cut people down, just like, whatever it is, take the drugs, drink the alcohol. And she doesn't really learn the lesson from that. Like you I wish she had veered at some point from that, like there was an alternative, like, no, I'm going to do it Tess's way. Like I'm going to bring in my friends and we're going to sort of like subvert this idea of power, which she, she doesn't quite do. She's lovely. Catherine? But she no, Tess. Tess. Like, I think there's oh, an Tess, opportunity yes, yes. there for Tess to subvert this idea of power, but she just does the power game. She just learns to do it really, really well. And we applaud her for that. Yeah. I mean, we weren't there yet, right? As a society, we weren't, we weren't, we were, women were, um, I read an article earlier that was like, women were um, climbing their way or pushing their way into the crowded business industries and the language with which the article was written, because it was written in 1986, was so hostile against women. While it was somehow congratulating women mm. for joining the workforce, it was like, it was like, they're, it's already bad. And now here comes women. Um, it was just words like, yeah, like crowded. And he basically said, like, they stomped on my nuts to get in here. Uh, can I say nuts on this podcast? Oh, yeah. You say nuts as much as you'd like. Yes. Great. Are we there now? Do you know what I mean? Like, are we because in some ways, I feel like this 
feels very present in that girl boss tense in that in that sense that how feminism can be co-opted and you think like by women do women do this and you're just like wait a second aren't we still oppressing each other in this pursuit if it if it's not intrinsically different at its core I feel like there's this whole yeah it's been recently I feel like there's just this co-optization of this feminism that feels like similar now yeah I think that we're definitely not there if if there's a destination I mean, if there's a stopping point, we're not there. But at least we know that that's that, that we know that the term girl boss these days has irony. You know, we use that not in a positive sense versus like six years ago, the term girl boss was very positive. Mm-hmm. It was a whole ass Netflix show. I mean, I remember it. Well, I would say it's still probably very positive for a lot of people. You're right. There are that is a positive word to many people still. Um, but there are still but there are areas that still that are making beginning to make fun of it. And I see that as a positive. I think it's people starting to recognize that, you know, having having greater diversity at the top of especially like the corporate ladder is, I guess, Mm -hmm. a good thing in that, like now there's more diverse people who are in charge, who are then exploiting the people at the bottom. So it's kind of like, well, we've solved the one problem of the fact that it's not just all white guys anymore, but still these uh these these corporate business structures these you know the way that like labor is organized is still inherently exploitative regardless of who's at the top right so the fact that like you know it's now it's now a woman who's exploiting your labor rather than a man is like is that necessarily better is that like do like do we celebrate that as a win and mm-hmm. yeah that's something that this this movie like really kind of like lays bare looking at it in 2023 i do i do want to say that maybe tess does sort of subvert some things or she she's making her own way in some ways because just in a small example she doesn't make her new secretary yes i don't yeah i don't expect you to get me coffee Uh, uh, i'm gonna be working (laughs) on it throughout the show hopefully by the end i'll have it i do want to say really fast that uh i loved melanie griffith in this movie um i thought she was so she's amazing just like the vulnerability, the insecurity, but also like the quiet confidence and like that underdog quality. I was blown away by this performance. This is her movie to me. Like all the other movies are, are great, but this is, this is the movie for me, for her. And I also like watching this movie now, I'm like, oh my God, I can just see your daughter so much. I see where Mm -hmm. Dakota uh, Johnson has the parts of her mother that she's taken that have done her so well the like the sweet eye contact and the sort of like sensitive mouth and you know just acting wise and her willingness and her bravery to just be there she doesn't do you know what I mean she's really brilliant at that where she just like doesn't do too much and the camera finds that and it's so raw and it's so enigmatic and I also just appreciate seeing it where I'm like how they shoot the women in this I didn't feel like it, you see so much glossy. It just made me realize how much glossy shit we have now, you know, like yeah. how the gloss factor is so heightened and it was just so raw. And you're like, oh, I see real skin. And even when there's a lot of makeup, you see like the crease of the makeup and the skin. And it was so important and refreshing. Um, 
and exciting to just be like, this is, this is real in that sense. There's like one of my favorite shots in the movie is uh, right before the first time you see Melanie Griffith in her underwear that, um, that uh, Alec Baldwin gets her for her birthday, which Mm -hmm. is Alec Baldwin lying on the bed and he's reading an automotive magazine. And then next to him is this like weird, um, sloth doll that's like probably like four feet tall or something and he's like staring at her and then you cut to her and she's putting on this like you know lingerie that she didn't want and I'm just like what a way to do a close-up on her ass like cutting from a sloth doll to this black silky lingerie is so like silly it's brilliant I feel like the predatory male gaze that Mike Nichols captures in this film is so important I mean that that image that you just described, the image of when Jack Trainer first comes, I mean, that whole meeting is like my stomach was, my skin was crawling, my stomach was mm. in knots because she is, she had just taken Valium. She's drunk and nervous. He li- They meet at the bar at the lobby. She's looking for Jack Trainer to try and like advance this business proposition. She's really trying, she's wearing a $6,000 dress, which I really appreciated that freak out moment that she has. Yeah. And she goes and she's like, he has her do tequila shots like he, he insane just that the close up that it has of him, which which I thought was so I really, really appreciated where it's like he turns and it's just a close up on him and you feel like you, the audience are prey. And he, yeah, she yeah. and then it turns back to her and she is the prey and he just strikes and we know she's looking for him, but he has no interest in her as a brain or anything. And and you see her just sort of melt under that pressure where she says about herself, like, yeah, I have, you know, like a brain for business but a body for sin and oh, he's that's pretty just good like, Rivka the voice is getting there <laughs> oh okay we'll, we'll 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 work on it throughout okay I would have practiced more if I knew we were gonna have a voice off <laughs> uh, I should have I should have um, yeah but then it cuts to right after that she gets like she's like melted like she's on Valium and drinking and he's like I'll take you home and it cuts to this scene of her just sitting totally passed out in a yellow cab and it's just legs hanging mm-hmm. out of the cab and he's just so excited and I thought that was so brilliant because I think sometimes and this is probably going to happen a lot on this podcast because I'm sure a lot of these films that we encounter are going to have just more you know especially this era we're just going to encounter grotesque um predatory male gaze and people say what does that have to do with capitalism i mean it has every fucking thing to do with capitalism because capitalism depends on the dehumanization and the commodification of the female body right and that a disembodied leg shot to me was ever, yes. i was like oh that is not a human being that is a pair of legs ready for him to take home and then he does he slings her over his shoulder Puts her inside and I'm like, are we, what are we supposed to be feeling? And I had a sense based on other films I've seen that this is going to be the love interest. But I was like, but I did feel that there had to be some kind of conscious choice there. I'm like, she's such meat and she has been portrayed that she's been experiencing that the whole film. So I'm curious, yeah, what were your thoughts on this relationship and where it goes from there? Because it is so grotesque. She's passed out and he's like, you're so beautiful. And she wakes up naked in her bed. Yeah, he's having like a conversation with her. He's like, oh, I guess like I guess I'm going to have a drink, you know, like that creepy thing of like a woman passed out and he's continuing the conversation. Unbelievable. Like, could you imagine wait, like if you had seen a camera of someone talking to you like that because you just happened to mix your meds with alcohol? Like, it's just it's hor- he should go to jail. I'm curious what you both think, like at the time of this film's writing and production and release, if this was 
their way of being like this is a good guy. The fact that he like essentially doesn't date rape her. Like is, is, do you, do you think like Nichols and the writer, do you think this portrayal in this scene was them being like, look how good of a guy Jack is. Like he takes her home. He doesn't rape her. Uh, you know, he maybe is like creepy and weird and dep and undresses her unnecessarily. And then also sleeps in the bed with his clothes off, like unnecessarily. Maybe he peaked. He's funny. But like, do you, do you do you think we were supposed to read that as like this? And then, oh God. And then when they actually meet for the business meeting um, and she's like, what happened? And he's like, oh, the, 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 the earth, the, the earth moved. The yeah, the and he's, and he's messing with, and he's like pretending like they had sex. And she's like, I don't remember any of that. Like, do you think we're supposed to read this as like, what a funny, charming, nice guy that he actually didn't do anything bad. Or do you think we're supposed to read this as like, this is also gross and kind of like predatory behavior in and of itself. I think it's Harrison Ford. And so it that is what he is cast for is that machismo, sexy man kind of thing. Uh -huh. And, you know, if you know about Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, like that is that is his MO. That's his vibe. Right. So he, I don't know. Well, uh, apparently um, Carrie Fisher got really drunk early on in shooting Star Wars and like some of the crew wanted to take her home and Harrison Ford was like, no, I'm going to take her home. And that's how they started their relationship. Oh God. Oh wow. So like literally this movie. Yeah. So like literally this happened. And I think, you know, casting Harrison Ford is not an accident. You like that is sex appeal back then. I think that it was, I think that he's not supposed to be necessarily like a good guy, but he's supposed to be a right guy and a hot guy. So this is like the socially acceptable amount of, predatory behavior for this time like you know, like we're supposed to think of jack as like like you said the right guy the good guy the hot guy yeah i mean i i think so i think he's like also they're trying to make him still like fuckable very I, fuckable yeah totally fuckable completely fuckable but yeah like <laughs> if if he if he weren't so macho i don't think people would have believed him as a romantic lead back then yeah mm. yeah yeah oof yeah, I don't know. I really thought because of this, because of because I thought it was so layered that the way that they were dealing with the sexism up until that point and what she had to deal with, I thought it was in I thought we were gonna have something more complicated than him just becoming the heartthrob. And it was my first time seeing it. So I was a little I was like hoping it would something would be different. But um, it wasn't. And I did catch the feels for him toward the end. And I was like, and I had a bit of a mind fuck for that, you know? It is every time I watch this movie, I feel something a little bit different about this relationship. And like, I've certainly gone through phases where I felt like, oh, this is awful. Like, this is so tacky and predatory. And, and then like watching it now, I'm because I've seen it so like, so dear to my heart. Um, mm -hmm. I see how it was created to also be like, something that women could look forward to. Like, if you join the workforce, you could have this will they, won't they with this hot guy. And then when your guys's business meeting goes well, he will kiss you. And then when you seal the deal, you guys will have sex. And that is the sort of like, like the promise of, of business and pleasure. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's for what it is. It is a very empowering movie. Um, in terms of Tess's arc as a character, you know, like, like, ev like everything you just laid out, even though she has to, you know, defeat another woman in order to ascend to that level, uh, even though she has to, you know, 
exist and compete within this male dominated world. Like what we're supposed to take away is, is like, if you were just like a strong woman and you, you know, stick to your values and your morals, uh, then you will get that corner office with your own secretary. And then hopefully you'll treat the secretary nicely, which she does at the end. I do love that Melanie Griffith is her own, that Tess, excuse me, is her like very much her own woman in this movie. Like you never know where you're going to get your next big idea. Like that everybody is sort of making fun of her um, because she's not your typical working woman. Um, And she doesn't dress like the way a man expects uh, the way a woman is, what is it? The way a man expects a woman to dress or the way a woman, a woman trying to look like a man. She doesn't, she's a woman trying to look like a man. She's a woman trying to look like a woman is what Harrison Ford says. Um, and I, I do really appreciate that as well. Mm, but also what a creepy line when he said it to her. Sort of a bimbo savant. I also love she says, okay, I'll try mine again. She says, yes. he who says power to the people. And she's like, the little people. Oh my I God, I don't that. remember that. What? When is that? I wish I had re- <laughs> I just wrote down the line because I was like, that's such a good line. And she's just like, the little people. And they're just like, yeah. <laughs> So good. There's so many incredible lines. Incredible lines. I'm actually, I'm not going to try to do Melanie Griffith voice. No, Frank. (laughs) Frank. Oh, come on, Frank. Okay. It'd be uh, something like. uh, Put it in front of your teeth. I've got a mind for business, but a bod for sin. That was really good. That was something like that. That was really good. Dress impeccably and they notice the the woman dressed shabbily and they notice the dress. Coco Chanel said that. Wow, that was good. I think we're wow. getting really strong we're here. We're getting there. Um, but I do want to play these back-to-back lines. So this is one from the middle of the movie and then one at the end of the movie, which I think perfectly sum up like the ethos of this world that Tess is operating in. Um, and both of them have to do with like how the world itself is set up. I'm going to come clean as soon as I get my end set up. I swear. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, so do I. Screwed up your life. No, I'm trying to make it better. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life working my ass off and getting nowhere just because I followed rules that I had nothing to do with setting up, okay? Ah, rules I had nothing to do with setting up. And then this one from Mm -hmm. the end, which, like, rounds out the entire uh, idea. Why didn't you tell us all this in the boardroom that day? Well, no one was going to listen, sir, not to me. I mean, you can bend the rules plenty once you get upstairs, but not while you're trying to get there. And if you're someone like me, you can't get there without bending the rules. You can bend the rules once yeah. you're upstairs, but you can't bend them on the way. But if you're someone like me, you have to bend the rules. That's, I mean, that's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. And I think really still resonant today because, you know, in the way that like a lot of these business structures and class structures are codified, it's like you got to you gotta wheel and deal and you know, do whatever you can to get to that higher level, to that higher strata. Um, and then once you do, you get up there, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. You can, yeah. you know, you can you can crash the entire U.S. economy. And guess what? You're not going to go to jail. Like, <laughs> you're going to be fine. Yeah, but it's also kind of, I mean, that's sort of the, the, the if we're looking at it, which we are because this is movies versus capitalism, um, through this perspective, like that's the, that's a problem, right? And that's sort of like the problem mm-hmm. with, I think the mindset of this film is that it's it's so easy to say, well, fuck it. This is the structure I was born into. I actually have no choice. So the best I can do is play this game. And hopefully like Tess, it'll work out for me. 
even though I have the issues of like classism and sexism in my way, you know, I can, if I just, if I do it, I make it happen. (gasps) Oh my God, you're getting so good. I make it it happen. Am I getting better? Only then do we get what we deserve. Oh, I love that. Remember when she's giving her the mantra when she's Mm -hmm. like feeding it to her. So good. She original, like she's sort of the original ASMR. That's what I'm getting from (laughs) Melanie Griffith is like, that's sort of like the, the, capacity of her voice is sort of what she's i feel like that she was the originator of asmr ellie's mouth is agape right now this is a revelation (laughs) (laughs) i really love that because it's so pleasing to listen to like i watching her is great but then when you played that clip frank i was just like oh the sing-songiness of it as well it's like it's like yeah like the whisper quality of it but then also she's just whipping up and down i love it anyway it's Really divine. But even then when she gets angry, it never gets too loud. It's just like a more extreme whisper. You're like, are you yelling? <laughs> Want to go back real fast to what you were just saying, Rivka, about like, you know, you're thrown into this system, into this game. So you're only, so you're like, I have to play these, I have to play this game. I have to play these within these rules, within these confines, you know, rather than like breaking out of them or trying to find a new, uh, a new way to subvert these structures. And it made me think of like today where, you know, I think of someone like Andrew Tate and his and, you know, like men who follow him. And I saw someone online re- recently mm. being like, you know, there are all these dudes and that, like his whole thing is like escape the Matrix. You know, like the Matrix is like you we're all confined by the Matrix. And like, if you follow me, I'll teach you how to get out of the Matrix. And then you have like these guys who are like, I've escaped the matrix by becoming like financially independent. And like now, like, and it's, it's all centered around, it's all centered (laughs) around money for the most part. And it's these guys recognizing that like, or not, not recognize these guys, not recognizing that like it's capitalism, the structure, but they're like rebranding it as the matrix. So it's like these, these young men like trying to become financially independent and break quote out of the matrix when really it's just like they're bucking against the system, but they're not, they're not doing it in a, like in a way that uh, engenders any solidarity or that even names capitalism as the, the structure that we're actually fighting against. Right. And it assumes like capitalism assumes that power is liberation. Yes. That power over others is liberation. And that's sort of the heart of this film is like, I will be, and there's that moment where Tess is excited about having a mentor in Catherine and I, and like really um, excited that she's going to work with her and that maybe they can make their idea happen together. But that's just, that's, that's capped where it's like, nope, not here again. Like can't imagine anything but capitalism. So you can win in this game. Just, you can't win by sharing power. Well, that line that, that um, Catherine says, like, it's a two way street test is, what is used to keep Tess small and in her place, you know, and like the the promise of uh, equity or the promise of equality maybe um, is, uh, is like what Catherine is like weaponizing to use against Tess, because as we know, she's just going to betray her. You know where we almost get there, which is one of my favorite moments is when they put together the money, to like all the secretaries when she's leaving put together money for her like that i'm like oh wait we have something here like we have a moment of shared power like wow if y'all pull your resources like maybe you could like come together and get shit done but like that was that i love that moment 
and don't you what do they say they're like don't use it on a meal don't use it don't use it at like the doctors don't on the con ed don't on the con ed yes thank you ellie don't use it on the con ed use it on on something that wasted and then like cap that the button at the end of joan cusack going absolutely ham <laughs> when tess gets her office and she's like shake it out shake it out yes <laughs> And all the secretaries are so excited for her. It's like, ooh, we were almost there. Y'all, we didn't even talk about Alec Baldwin. Or Kevin Spacey. Oof, God. Or Kevin <laughs> Spacey right. doing some of the worst acting I've ever seen. Terrible like, acting. Uh, that shook me. Terrible. That was, that was like terrible that was one of the worst i mean because okay problem problematic but like can can act his face off sometimes and it was kind of a joy to be like not always not always always, and he's playing a sexual abuser and now knowing what we know like maybe it was a little the part was a little too close to home for him yeah he was like i have to like really i have to do a (laughs) shitty job otherwise people are gonna like get they're gonna get wise yeah (laughs) yeah they start thinking about it oh so he intentionally was a bad in that scene intentionally was bad he was like trying to throw people off of the scent yeah but that was a wild scene i mean alec baldwin oof wow i mean alec baldwin is very hot in this movie um i thought oh yeah personally Um, yeah although like a real piece of work a real piece of shit honestly um the scene after so in the movie tess catches him cheating on her and then a few scenes later they're at uh joan cusack and her fiance's engagement party and they have this fight outside after he proposes to her uh, after Alec Baldwin proposes to Tess, and that she says maybe, oh, and the way she says maybe so confidently mm-hmm. is so special. And then they have a fight outside where he blows up on her for embarrassing him, even though she just caught him cheating a few nights earlier. And three days, yeah, th- it was such an incredible snapshot of that time where, like. A man, and maybe it's still, honestly, it's probably still today too, where like a man like a man like Mm -hmm. that would feel entitled to have this woman accept his proposal, take him back, even though he's just cheated on her. And like the brash confidence he has in like dressing her down and scolding her, I was just like, this is Mm -hmm. so gross that like he has the, he has the the gall to be like you're the problem Tess like oh that was mm-hmm. and I, I don't even know it's I don't even know that it's that he expects it it's that he knows that women are soft and he can manipulate them is what he mm-hmm. thinks yeah. you know like if I yell at her hard enough maybe she'll be like oh yeah you're right I'm sorry is what I get from that character I do think it was important that he was also such a piece of shit but like where I thought trainer with Jack Trent Harrison was going um, because it did, I thought it did a nice thing where it's like, yeah, this has nothing like you can be rich as fuck and be a predatory fuck. And you can be poor, like working class and be a predatory fuck. And it was like, thought it sort of like started to make some kind of intersectional commentary there. And then, and then of course Harrison Ford ends up falling, doing the thing. Being a and good they say guy. they love each other, being a good guy, being the guy that, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't even have to be a good guy. I guess that's it. He's just like, I love you. 
and he has, you know, and he has all the power. And she's like, I love you too. But she's also like, does she? She needs that. She's just trying to make that trade. I love that moment when he says, I love you right before the big meeting. It's like an improv warm up. It's like zip, zap, zap. They're just like, okay, I love you. I love you. And that's how you, and then business. It's time for business. It's the, yeah, it's the pre-show. It's the pre-business warm up. Was there anything else that you, you both wanted to hit before we go to the awards? I know I'm only talking about lines, I realize, but I just want to say that I love the part where um, I forget who asks her. Oh, it's Alec Baldwin at the wedding when when he's, you know, with the woman and Alec Baldwin asks her how life in the fast lane is. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm. And she says, like, you know, uh, well, it's fast. It's real fast and busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so good. Oh, there was one moment I just wanted to mention um, in her first business meeting with Harrison Ford uh, when he off and she's pretending to be her boss at this point and he offers her coffee and she instinctually stands up to go get it. Oh, I, that was yeah. like, oof, that like I felt that in that moment. Um, yeah, beautiful details. There's so much of that section of the movie that's also like really important because we see her shedding her class like training her accent and um yeah taking her hair down and um dressing better quote unquote cutting um, her hair cutting her hair yeah choosing different stockings probably um <laughs> it's such like a you know you don't often get the makeover montage uh as done by the character who's getting the mon- the makeover and um mm-hmm. it's like so sad but also so satisfying to see her go from from one extreme to the other and like she does it herself yeah from working class caterpillar to you know capitalist butterfly it's it's a beaut from working girl to working woman Mm -hmm. all on the staten island ferry I have one more, which is that I think that the movie is also, we should give it also a little bit more credit. I should give it a little bit more credit. I was being hard on it and saying that that I don't know that it was aware of its, always aware of its own messaging. But I, I, I have to say, I think maybe it was on purpose that the guy's name was Trask because it sounds so much like trash. And I'm like, did they do it on purpose? You know, this big multi-billion dollar company is like so close to trash. I thought that was like sort of almost parody. And yeah, and they're not painting his character and the family. And when they go to the wedding, you're like, this is not a family that you're like, oh, I idealize want to be these people. I love when she comes in, his daughter comes in to the bathroom and she's wearing this wedding dress and she's upset about it. And she says, she's like my, like that her husband thinks it, looks like Nicaragua. Looks like Nicaragua. One of the most embarrassing on-screen weddings I have ever seen. I was like, I was like, this <laughs> yeah. is, this is, that was trash. That was like, who, like, they have so much money. Who, how could they have possibly thrown a party this terrible looking? It was, it was really shocking. It's so funny. I was like, I want to go there. <laughs> I like that aesthetic. I'm like, make that theme park. I'm there. Paradise with little gold umbrellas. Um, and you know that the you know that Gary Marshall knows what he's doing because they start the wedding with that shot of the black man smiling right into camera. And then they like mm-hmm. they zoom past. He's like a waiter and mm-hmm. he's just like smiling and you kind of know like oh, what's about to happen. And then they zoom past him and you see like the festivity and it's it's rough. All right, Ellie, this is the point in the episode where we like to hand out awards for this film. The first award we give is called A Point with a View, and this goes to the character with the 
best politics in the movie. So which character would you say has the best politics? Well, I think I'm going to, this is a pretty obvious award. Um, I think I have to give it to Tess. I think Tess has the best politics. I, I agree with she, you. She fights for what she wants. And then when she doesn't get it, instead of, you know, turning really nasty, she's prepared to walk away with her integrity. Yeah. And, you know, at the end, she she does have that moment where she is treating her subordinate way better than she has been treated throughout this entire film. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's also Tess. I'm going to give a, a honorary mention to my ladies who come together to put together some money, mm. a little mutual aid fund for their dear girl Tess. That's a good one. Okay. Our next award is Despicable You. This goes to the character with the worst politics in the movie. Oh, God, I got to give it to Joan. You're giving it to Joan. I don't know. I think Joan's oh, such a... okay. Tell us more. Well, she's just, first of all, she's trying to get, let her friend get back together with a guy that's terrible to her. And she's totally bought into the idea that this is her life and that this is what she deserves. Like, I'm sure her husband's horrible to her too. And she becomes sort of nasty towards Tess when Tess dares dream for something bigger. She's like, you know, she's like that crab that's trying to bring the other crab back down into the bucket. And yes, Catherine is also cutthroat, but I don't know, at least she has no connection to Tess. Like her Tess's best friend is is actively rooting against her, I feel. That's a that's a good contender. I was shocked in that scene where, you know, Joan is like, she's like, you're like, why don't you take him back? Yeah, that was, it was surprising to see her friend take the side of her shitty ex in that moment. So I hear that. It was. And yet I got it. I I got it so much in the sense that like when people are growing around you, like she just didn't want her. I mean, it was awful, but like, I think she was just like, couldn't stand everything. She's like, don't change, don't change. It's true that like, especially modern this is a very modern idea that we are, are allowed to like reject uh, throw away these people that have been in our lives for a long time because they are draining to us or because they um don't serve us anymore or maybe never have served us but if you do that too much while you're growing then maybe you'll throw away somebody that was that you didn't know how important they were are to you and so i sort of see that point of view of being you know like just slow slow the boat on that a little bit like maybe think about this longer but ultimately it just it seems like it it came from such fear that it made me sad i'm gonna give this to Oren trask uh he doesn't articulate any kind of politics in this movie but he is ostensibly a billionaire so i have to imagine he has terrible politics and <laughs> has done some really uh exploitative uh <laughs> bad things to achieve the class status that he has so that's that's who i'm going with i'm throwing in the pot the the first boss that she has who's like a middle manager kind of boss right but he's the one who sets her up with kevin spacey telling her he's looking for an assistant and i could say kevin spacey but him and then she writes on all the computers she's like my boss he's like pimping me out because he like, was and i just I, think that especially represents just like a disgusting like just not ugh. just like maybe not the most powerful in this system, but certainly like a bad, bad, despicable you player. I think that's definitely he's second on my list for sure. And if I were being I, I'm being a little cruel, I'm being a little unfair towards Joan. And like if I were actually 
if I were taking the emotion out of it, I would also pick him. Uh, <laughs> the what does she say? Like something like he's he's a pimp and like a dweebzoid or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's so eighties. <laughs> and our final award is a star is scorned. This goes to the supporting character that this movie should actually be about. I I do I know that Catherine's not the like side character per se in this, but I just really would I want to see Catherine's origin. Story. Ooh, yeah. I want to see Catherine after this. I mean, she just was so like, I want to be Catherine, which is probably not the point of the movie. But like between Tess and Catherine, I'm like, I want to be Catherine all the way. She just enjoyed her shit, too, like which actually has some anti-capitalist undertones, right? Like she just was like at least living it and enjoying it. And the doctors who were maybe models maybe i don't know like whoever she hired to like take care of her during that which i loved that aesthetic too that they were just everyone's so hot and like just she was always in lingerie and having a great time so Catherine, i i agree with that rivka i'm with you um i want to see her prequel i want her to become like a like a Ernest or a chevy chase type character where we see her throughout all phases in her life <laughs> Catherine goes to vegas mm -hmm. Catherine, um, yes you know, goes on safari. I want to see her spinoffs. That's good. I think the cat, yeah, the Catherine origin story is, is much needed. Um, I'm going, I'm going to steal uh, yours, Rivka, from before. I want to see the story of all of the secretaries, all the assistants on that floor. Um, I want to see the movie where they unionize. That's what I want. Yeah. And all of the uh, terrible men that they work for just don't know how to run the company, have no idea how to do anything without them. That's... That's the movie that I would like to see. I would like to see that movie too. And I, I feel like I feel like maybe that movie could like it's possible that that movie exists. And if it doesn't, then I don't know, maybe edit this part out because you could write that. You guys could write that. I guess yeah. that, that feels like that could get made. I'll register with the WGA tomorrow. So yeah. Working girls. Working girls. I also wanted to say just the, la the last, a little last jab of capitalism is that Harrison Ford is the top billed actor in this movie. I noticed that at the end. That's what? right. And that sucked. Yeah. I, and and Melanie Griffith is third. Sigourney Weaver is before her. What? Yeah. She is the working girl. She He's is the working, working girl. girl. <laughs> no, Harrison Ford is now the working girl. I actually was doing a little bit of research uh, in preparation. And apparently when Nichols was trying to get this movie put together, he wanted Melanie Griffith. The studio did not want her. And it took... Harrison Ford and Sigourney Weaver signing on for the studio to sign off on Melanie Griffith because the other two were big enough stars that they were like, okay, this movie will be fine, even though you want to cast, you know, relatively not well-known Melanie Griffith as the lead. So wow. that's probably why that happened. Still shitty, but a little bit of an explanation. And the movie did do well. Yeah, big, big hit. Before we wrap up, we always like to have a little conversation with our guests about how they as artists and people are striving to practice anti-capitalist beliefs in their own lives. Um, any practices that you have, any books you're reading, we know it's very complex, but whatever that jars for you. Yeah, thank you. I, I thought about this a little bit and um, I think, you know, it certainly I've listened I listened to your guys's first episode and you were talking about sort of like your political reawakening in the pandemic and sort of that combined with like the hopelessness of I think what a lot of people feel these days um, 
led me to seek out this book that my friend recommended that I'm just going to reach for right now that I just started. It's called Emergent Strategy. I don't know if you guys have already talked about this book on on the podcast. We have not, but it's an absolute fave. Yeah, I just started this. And well, I mean, I literally just started it. But I think just also the action of like, I went to Skylight and I bought this um, and uh, that I am seeking strategies is inherently good. And then Mm -hmm. beyond that, um, I am trying to figure out how to phrase this. But when you're an actor, you don't have a lot of money all the time and (laughs) it can get a little... um, Really? You you know, yeah, really? Have you heard of that concept? (laughs) Yeah, that's shocking to hear. So I feel like, you know, you start to like really lust after objects and you start to like really want things sometimes, but just making peace with what you have, I think is really important. And so everybody knows about like reduce, reuse, recycle, but I'm working on my own mantra, which is right now just two M's, but it's maintain and mend. And I don't just mean textiles and clothing, but, you know, like I take now great pleasure in taking care of the things that I do have. (laughs) My mom always told me to pick a day and do your important bills or your important things on that day. And now I've I've added sort of picking an object that needs a little extra love. And I know you're not supposed to treat objects like um, sentient things past the age of five, but (laughs) um, I find that if I have a more emotional connection to an object, then I treat it much better and I take better care of it. And I think that's um, helped me in reducing my consumerism. And um, it's also made me feel more stable. Wow, that's stunning. I absolutely love that. Thank you. That's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Maintain and mend is a gorgeous mantra. Thank you. I'm looking for a third M. And we'll find it. We'll workshop it. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to hearing you talk more about it and and share as this process unfolds for you because that is I don't know if you've heard it exactly like that, but there's but I totally agree with you and what it would take to um always looking for ways to be more present tense and sustainable and in love with what is there because absolutely one of the consequences of capitalism is to feel like nothing you have is ever good enough and you are never doing Mm -hmm. enough and you are never okay when in reality we have so much and it's right here starting with the people with us starting with um the clothes that we do have falling back in love with things that you bought for a reason i love that absolutely and like if it means that you have to invest in some tools then you do that. You know, you buy a D-pillar so you can keep that sweater looking nice or the Ooh. or that couch looking nice. Yes. Um, and and with mending also comes like skill. And so I think also investing in your skill is important. Like I've uh, been a sewer for my whole life, but I have friends who are picking up the skill constantly and it brings them so much pleasure. And you don't have to sew clothing, but I think everybody needs to know how to sew a button. It's embarrassing to me that people don't. I'm like, oh, so you don't know how to do it or you couldn't figure it out, you know? Like, just do it. You can do it. <laughs> Have you heard of this thing called YouTube? Yeah, exactly. Oh, maybe it's meditate because the process of maintaining and mending can Ooh. be meditative. Oh, I love that. Just tossing it out. You, you, can, you can scrap it if you want. I don't, you know, it's your mantra. I really love that, Frank, because actually I think it's very fitting that I didn't arrive at that myself because I don't practice meditation on purpose, m- meaning... Um, 
I've been told throughout my life that I should meditate and I've never like invested in in that skill. However, I do think that I've meditated in my life because sewing is meditative. Knitting mm-hmm. is meditative. Yeah. Um, and I love the feeling that I get when I'm doing that. And everybody's always like, oh, you just, you know, try, try like a YouTube video. And I um, have been hesitant to do it for years. But uh, recently I've sort of started getting more into it. And I feel like um, it's so funny that I didn't arrive at that myself because of course I've been pushing up against it for so long. So glad I could contribute. So there we have it. There we have it. Ellie, where can our audience find you and your work? Thank you for asking. You can find me on Instagram at Ellie, that's E-L-E Woods, uh, five, five, I think on Instagram. And then um, on uh, Twitter, you can find me at Ellie Woods, PhD. And I don't have a PhD. It's just, that's my handle. Yeah. <laughs> You're allowed to do that? I didn't realize. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had Ellie Woods DDS for a long time. And that served <laughs> me really well. I had so many followers that were dentists, just like out of solidarity. <laughs> um, but yeah, Twitter took it, sadly. But yeah. Well, Ellie, this was such a wonderful conversation. I loved this movie. I loved getting to watch it and learning more about you in the process. So thank you for choosing it. And thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you guys for your service. This is such an incredible podcast. And I look forward to um, listening to it and learning more. Thank Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok, and you can find all those links at mvcpod.com. And again, if you would like to support this show, you can go to levernews.com slash mvc to become a supporter. For next week's movie, we'll be watching Charlie Chaplin's anti-capitalist masterpiece, Modern Times. And if you're thinking, I don't want to watch an old black and white silent movie, trust me, this movie slaps. Yeah, this movie is so good. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.